all right. That ought to be better. How many of you read the pastor's pen this morning? <laughs> One, two, three, four. Well, I, I, the only reason I mentioned that is because uh, I've got about 12 different series of messages that I, I'm, I, that I want to preach so bad, and it's just been physically impossible for me to preach everything I like to preach, and so I've been preaching only on Sunday morning, and, and that's what we're going to continue to do until, uh, until sometime that God allows and I would love to preach one of those messages tonight, and yet ever since I wrote the pastor's pen, I haven't had any peace so, and, until I thought about this subject. Several years ago, I preached a message entitled, Who is on Your Guest List? The pastor's pen had to do with the fact that the last two weeks we've had folks join the church as a result of someone inviting them. And all of a sudden they came and uh, the Lord led them to move their membership here. God uses people. And tonight I'm not going to, I haven't tried to outline a message or anything, but the message is found right here in a parable that the Lord gives. But before we get to the parable, I want you to begin in Luke chapter number 14 and Read the first six verses. And it came to pass as he, speaking to Christ, he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And Jesus Answering, spake unto the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took him, that is the man that was sick of the palsy, and healed him and let him go. And answered them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into the ditch and will not straightway pull him out, of the, out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. I want us to look at this big picture here before we get to the parable that starts in verse number 7. It's a Jewish Sabbath. The home of a prominent Pharisee. They're gathered there to eat a meal together. And back in those days, that was a big deal. It wasn't just, you know, a stopover at Denny's uh, or something like that. I mean, when you had guests over, it, it was a big deal. And so it, it seems strange that the, the Pharisees are, are the Lord's biggest critics. They're trying to find some loose thread in his character, some way that they can discredit him, dishonor him. They're looking for any fault that they can possibly find, and yet here he is eating in that home. Another strange thing is that there's a man there with, with dropsy and a form of paralysis, and here's a, 
a tradition that the Jews had at that time that you just don't invite people like that to get together. And notice it just refers to him here as he's a certain man. It's not John, Henry, Bob, or just he's just a certain man. And it was considered uh, to be wrong to invite someone like that. Why would you invite a person like that to one of the feasts? After all, you know, we've got some big shots here, and boy, they're liable to be offended. They have to eat in the same house with a person like that. So they didn't do it, and yet there he is. How did he get there? I, I, I mean, he's poor, he's diseased, uh, against all of the, all of the uh, traditions that they hold. Some have suggested, I don't know how they based this on, that he was actually outside of the house. He wasn't really a guest, but he was on the outside there. I don't know, maybe begging, I, I don't know. Others suggest, well, maybe he was a relative. And so this man, this Pharisee felt obligated, well, you got to have, got to include him. He's, he's a cousin or brother or whatever. And so maybe that was it. But there's another possibility, and that is that he was a plant there. Now, I'm not saying that with absolute certainty. I'm just saying in the light of all of the tradition and all of the, all of the preferences that the Pharisees had it just seemed strange that he was there at the same time Jesus was there could it be that they have just set this deal up in order to find fault with Christ I don't know whatever the case might be but it's clear that all eyes were upon him they watched him That's in the first verse. Notice, they watched him. They're looking for something, and it's obvious they're not looking for uh, a sermon by him. It's nothing good. They're looking for something that they can criticize him. The fact is, Jesus knew exactly what they were up to. And knowing what he knew, he took control of the situation And notice the first thing he did, and that was to ask this question, verse 3. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? No one answered. They knew better than to answer. They were fearful of what the response was going to be. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Someone's got to be scratching their heads and wondering, where is this going? Why would he ask a question like that? Well, notice the second thing Jesus did after he took control of the situation. It says in verse 4 that he healed the man. He took him and healed him and let him go. Thank God he didn't allow controversy or criticism Stop him from showing compassion on that man. You know, the Lord could have said, you know, I know what's in the heart of these people and they are, they are religious bigots. They are self-righteous, no goods. Uh, I don't even want to eat with them. Uh, 
They just brought me here so they could find some fault with me. I'm not going to do it. See, they, remember last week we talked about that. That's a great crowd followed Jesus so they could see a miracle. They said, we'll even make you the king. If you get rid of this Roman government, get them off of our shoulders, you know. We'll make you the king. They were willing to follow him if he met their conditions. Let me tell you, God never saves anyone on our conditions. It's always on his conditions. But human nature is to say that when things go wrong, run, get away, fight back. But he didn't. Some people spend all of their life looking for the perfect church and they'll never find it. And if they did, if they joined it, they'd run it. Because there's no such thing as a perfect church. None of us are perfect. And Jesus was there whether they realized it or not on a mission. There was a man in need and he healed him and says, and let him go. Now notice the third thing Jesus did. Look at verse 5. Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen in, into a pit and will not straightway, that's hillbilly talk, where I come from, that means lickety-split, straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day. Now Jesus knew the answer and so did they. They knew the answer. Jesus knew the answer. But look in verse 6. And they could not answer him again to these things. Boy, they know they've been caught. Can you imagine? People that has more concern about an animal than they do a man that is so handicapped as this man was. And this brings us to the parable. Let's begin reading in verse 7. And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden, and when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest rooms, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and with uh, and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. And when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he had bade that thee cometh, he may say unto thee, friend, Go up higher, it's a better room, a better place. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And then he said to him that bade him, this is the host that gave the invitation, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, nor thy kinsmen, nor the uh, rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee 
that when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. All of this parable is based on, on, on a statement made back in Proverbs chapter number 25. And I'll go back there and read it and go through it, but in chapter 25, verse 6 and 7, it's basically saying exactly what this parable is designed to teach, and that is this, that we ought to never seek honor for ourselves, but rather to humbly put others ahead of ourselves. He invited to this wedding at a place, and he said, whenever you go in, you take the lowest seat, as it were. You leave those high seats those special seats for the dignitaries, for those people of honor. The Pharisees had exactly the opposite attitude of that. They wanted everybody to think they were on the top of the totem pole of spirituality. They were the standard by which everybody ought to be judged spiritually. In their mind, that's what they believed. The Lord is trying to get them to understand that before anyone can do any useful service for the Lord, they've got to humble themselves to the point that they're willing to minister to those that maybe that cannot repay them. Boy, it struck at the heart of those proud Pharisees because of the fact they based everything upon their righteousness, not the righteousness of Christ. If ever there was a If ever there was a blow struck to their ego, that was it. And the Lord knew exactly what to say, how to say it, in order to drive the point home. They resented a sick man being healed because it's the Sabbath. Now, by the way, there were some strict standards that were in play when it regarded the Old Testament Sabbath. That's true. No doubt about that. But God never intended for the Sabbath day or any day to be so respected that we ignored the needs of people. And these people didn't care. They were more concerned about their traditions than anything else. They wouldn't think twice about going out there and getting an ox or an ass out of the ditch. And, you know, my, we're, we're talking about valuable property. And yet they're more concerned about their personal property than they are about the suffering of this fellow man. The fifth thing Jesus did, and that is to make the application here whenever he addressed the host. Having given the parable, he looked straight at the fellow that had hosted the party, verse 12, and he said, he also to him that bade him. He wanted to know this, this man to know that he is responsible for what's going on there. He knew his motive and he brought it to light. And basically, in those days and situations like that, people entertained guests for one or two reasons. Either number one, to pay, to pay the guests back for, for something that they had done. 
they had in some way, you know, uh, helped them. And so it's payback time, you know. That you, business people do that kind of stuff all the time. Because they know, you know, you got to take care of people and do things because you do business with them again later. The second thing is that it might be that he wanted to place them under indebtedness to him. You see, with the, with the high rollers, with the big shots, you know, the, the Hollywood crowd or whatever it might be, everybody's trying to impress somebody else. That's what it's all about. It starts whenever we're young. It starts whenever our kids go off, especially to high school and when I was a kid, they didn't even have those Chuck Taylors. I, I still got two pair of Chuck Taylor tennis shoes, and I thought that's as good as anything you ever need. And now we're talking about kids that think they're mistreated if they don't have, you know, the Air Jordans or whatever the, whatever the popular thing is now and pay hundreds of dollars for a pair of shoes that, uh, no $10 pair of McGregor shoes from... Walmart lasts just as long. Are you, I, I haven't lost track of where I'm at. I'm trying to get you to see people are overly concerned about impressing other people, but there's always a reason for it. It's because somewhere down the road, they're going to want a favor of some kind, and they want you to feel indebted to them. Now, Think about the simplicity of this parable. Couldn't be any clear. The Lord said, whenever you have a feast, remember he's talking to that individual now, and he says, don't, don't, don't invite your family, your friends, and so forth. And by the way, that he's not saying that we should never do that. I mean, that would be contrary and a violation of the commandment to love. He's not saying to us that we ought never have our family over for fellowship or anything. That's not the point. He's saying to this man and to the Pharisees, basically in general, or anyone today that has the attitude the Pharisees did. He's saying rather than having your family over, your friends over, those people that you want to use to get something or those people that... It's payback time, and you've got to do something nice to impress them. He said, instead of doing that, invite those that are down and out, those that are poor, those that are needy. Like the man with the dropsy, he didn't say those words, but that's exactly the implication here. You know, sometimes... Sometimes we might act like we're really a spiritual person because we really love our family and friends. And we should. Too many people don't. I mean, the Bible says in the last days people will be without natural affection. We live in a time where so many mothers and fathers have no love whatsoever for their, for their children and vice versa. No natural affection. It's just natural for us to love our, 
our children and our parents. That's natural. And some people act like, you know, well, I'm really spiritual because look how good I am to my family. Don't forget that Christ was the champion of the common people. The down and the out, those that were cast away, the lepers, people that nobody wanted to be near, and yet Jesus healed the lepers. And according to our text, he's saying, instead of having your family and friends, why don't you have the poor, the weak, the handicapped, and put them on your guest list. That's why I asked if anyone had uh, read the pastor's pen this morning because it had to do with someone inviting someone and they came as, as a guest. And God used that to bring them here. Let me tell you, in those days, especially sharing the meal was a big deal. It was, a, it was in the Eastern world, it was, it was something that... Uh, was considered a great honor for someone to invite you for a meal. Because if you're going to have a meal, wait a minute, that takes time, right? It, it takes some expense. It, it doesn't just happen. It's an act of compassion on other people. It's uh, effort, expense. Somebody's got to cook the food. Somebody's got to clean up the place. Somebody's got to entertain the guests. You realize what a powerful sermon it is whenever we do something. It might be a simple meal. It might be inviting someone over uh, at a certain time to your home. It might be that after church saying, hey, I haven't had a chance to really meet you and get to know you yet, and uh, why don't we just stop somewhere and eat a bite? On me, of course, you know. You go pay for the meal. Sometimes a demonstration of love like that can mean so much more than a sermon. Because some people are really not into the listening to sermons. That's not their thing. But that's the attitude a lot of people. Who wants to go to church? That's so boring. Sing about heaven in the sky by and by and stuff I don't even believe. Who wants to do that? For a long, long time in my life, I'll guarantee you there was no way I would have, you could have invited me a thousand times there's no way I would have ever said, thanks, I'll be there Sunday. I didn't have any interest in it whatsoever. I wasn't angry toward Christians or anything. I just, I didn't see any need of it. And there are a lot of people in this world exactly like that. The singing of the hymns, the preaching of the word, all of, none of that impresses them. But a demonstration of love gets their attention. I can't remember many of my teachers, but I can remember a couple. Mr. James, he's the one who 
really enabled me to graduate because just a few days before graduation, when I would have been expelled from school, I had hit a kid in, during class. We got into it. It was back whenever the growing of the hair like the beetles and getting popular wearing your hair down. And I was teasing him. And uh, anyway, he didn't like it. He grabbed my hands because I told him, I think I'll cut your hair. And I said, you better let go. And he didn't let go. So I hit him and blood flew everywhere. For some reason, that teacher never reported that. Made me, he told me to, I needed to apologize to him, but he never reported it. I know the name of the other teacher who, uh, after I graduated from high school, Mr. Chastain, who was responsible for helping me get my first real job besides driving the ice cream truck. That doesn't count. I got a call one day from the Greene County Surveyor's office saying, hey, we need a draftsman down here. We hear you just graduated from high school and your teacher, Mr. Chastain, we know him well and he recommended you. And I could go on and on and on talking about things like that. This is back whenever I had no concern about Christianity, but I've never forgot what those people did for me because they cared they knew what it was what it would mean to me and they did something that's the whole point of this a demonstration of love who's on your guest list you know it might be a taking advantage of a, a of a holiday that whether it's thanksgiving or christmas or whatever it is you'd be amazed how many people don't have anyone to uh, don't have anyone to be with them, help them. A lot of times it's a widow that's in need of need of help. Oh, they're not going to ask for it. I mean, it's easy to look around and find someone someone that is in need and and if you can't Set it up on a special occasion because you're going to be out of town somewhere with your family and your friends. Then create a special occasion. It might be like what we did for so many years, having a friend day. It might be a game night. It might be a Sunday school activity, a class activity. But we've got to do something to demonstrate love for those that are in need and most of the time it's somebody we don't even know or someone you know that we just met several years ago we had a great big picture of uh, a map rather than a picture of the Houston area and we had visitation teams. We had bus visitation on Saturday morning, but on Thursday night we had regular church visitation. And we had visitation teams, teams of two. And uh, we'd on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, we'd take uh, off of that map there, this is area one, area two, area three, or whatever. And then we'd have a visitation team. Now, your assignment is to go to that area 
and to make contact, if you can, with every house. Keep track of where you leave off. We have door hangers, you know, you hang on the door, or hand out a track. But make contact. You know, it's amazing how easy it is to start a ministry. I'm talking about a ministry that, that God will bless and God will use, and then, well, after a while, it just falls by the wayside. And it shouldn't. So thankful for our, our Sunday school class teachers that have uh, opportunities for people in their own home at their expense and what have you. Thank God for that. And the whole point here of our Lord's message is, is to reach those that are down and out. I preached a message some years ago about about winning people like Jesus did. First of all, you have, we have to demonstrate love for them like He did. Because if they're not convinced that we care about them, they're certainly not going to have any interest in what we have to say about spiritual things. But look over at Luke chapter 4. I preached on this just recently. The Spirit of the Lord, this is Christ speaking this is the Messiah's ministry. This is his mission statement. And I want you to look at it again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel. Here we go. To the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised. That's what Christ came to do, and as Christian people, if we're going to, if we're going to be followers of Christ, and naturally we, we can't do what He did, we can't heal the sick, we can't raise the dead, we can't calm the stormy sea, we can't work the miracles He did, but we can demonstrate love toward others as he did. And that demonstration of love there had to do with meeting their needs. He says those that are captive, man, they're in prison. It makes a great ministry to reach out to the jails and the prisons. I pastored in Tennessee. We had a man, uh, a full-time missionary, as it were, in that field. He was a missionary to the jails and the prisons. You know, was, we all tend to kind of give up on those people. Man, they got a record or they're in jail. and It's just by the grace of God it wasn't you or me. Then there's the nursing homes. Wow, what an opportunity there is. Whenever our camp ministry was going and they'd go around singing in these different nursing homes, Eric and Lisa and Bev could tell you some stories that would break your heart. And Elderly people there that have just been basically dumped and no one, no one, no family, no one to ever come and see them. 
they'd go over there and they would sing and those dear folks was just so thrilled that somebody cared enough to come over there and to sing and to share the word of God with them. And the list goes on and on and on. Well, as I said, I didn't have any real interest whatsoever in going to church. The invitations that were extended would have fallen on deaf ears. But you know, we give up on people too easily because this is what I believe that sooner or later God, if we're making an effort to reach people sooner or later, God will bring a person to a crisis point in their life. They might not really know exactly what they're looking for. They just know they need help that they can't get anywhere else. They come to church thinking, Maybe there's, maybe there's something to this being a Christian business. And they come and they listen because they know they need something. I'm so glad I can look back. I had never attended church, never read the Bible in my life. But I'm so glad one day that uh, my best friend, which was Miles from Perfect, by the way, but he was still my best friend, like a brother to me. And he invited me to go to church. And I thought, oh, what are you talking about? I didn't know he had been, he had been going to church and uh, I had no idea. He said, they've got a softball team. And uh, they, they could really use your help and Long story short is I, I went out there thinking I was going out there, you know, as a, do a favor to him and to them, play some softball games with them. And but boy, whenever I got there and I began to hear the word of God and began to realize and the spirit of God helping me to understand why I am like I am. And that is because of my depraved nature as a human being, that I'm dead spiritually, I'm a sinner, and I can't change it. But Jesus can. And He died on the cross. He shed His blood. He made the sacrifice that was necessary that I could be a child of God. All of my sins forgiven. Assurance of a home in heaven. And I'll tell you, that's exactly what I needed. That's what every person on this earth needs is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your next door neighbor, the person you work with, the person you go to school with maybe, I want you to think about this. What if each one of us reached one? And let's... Make it where it'd be easier. Let's give each one of us a year. Within the next year, I don't know what we had this morning, but usually our Sunday morning attendance is around 200 to 210, 220, something like that. What if each year, each one of us was responsible for either winning someone to the Lord or inviting them to church and they become a member? In one year's time, 
our congregation would double. Wow. We go from 200 to 400. What if we could some way persuade everybody to repeat that? You don't just add 200 to the 400. It goes to 800 if each one reaches one. Now, I understand, I realize that most of the time when you invite people to church, they're, not, they're probably not going to come. But I think God's going to hold us responsible for the opportunities that we have to, at, very, at the very least, put those people that we meet during the course of the week on our guest list, as it were. That's why we use that word guest here. We never call people visitors. They're not visitors, they're guests. It might be that you're shopping somewhere. It might be that you're talking to an insurance agent. Someone you meet or somebody that you know. And I don't know what would be so wrong if, uh, as pastor, if I ask, how about we all make a commitment that we will we'll do our best to capitalize on every opportunity that God gives us. It may be, you know, you might be eating out somewhere and uh, you don't know the waitress or the waiter, but you got a track in your pocket. That's at least a contact. We got tracks out there. If we don't have them out there, ask Brother Rick over here and he'll, he'll order more. We'll order as many as you'll give away. We'll order 10,000 if you give away 10,000. That's not a problem. But God help us each one to commit ourselves to inviting other people to church. In some way or another, we just kind of let that slip by. Because, you know, it seems like such a little thing. Just an invitation to church. But God uses little things. Little is much when God is in it, the old song says. And when God sees our effort to reach that classmate, that friend, that neighbor, whoever it is, when God sees our effort, I don't have any doubt in my mind whatsoever but what God won't leap into action and do things that we could never imagine, the great things that God could do. And I am going to ask you to make that commitment tonight. I, you don't have to, I don't, don't, I'm not, don't want you to even share it with anybody else. Because it's real easy to jump up and say, okay, hey, I'll, I'll commit, I'll raise my hand. No, I don't even want that. I want to be just between you and the Lord tonight that I'm going to commit myself to being one of those, one of those that tries to reach one to where I can maybe next year look back and say, well, at least I reached one. Well, if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I, I beg you, whatever you do, don't walk away from Him. As I said, we don't always know exactly what we're looking for, but whenever we come to realize what we are, I wouldn't have blamed anybody for hating me 
before I become a Christian. I, I, they had a right to hate me. I hated me. I didn't like the person that I was. You wouldn't like the person that I was. God didn't like the person I was, but God loved me and gave his son to die on the cross for my sins. He'll do the same thing for you. Let's all stand as Brother Myrick comes and we have an invitation tonight. And It might be that you just want to come in on your knees before God and say, Lord, I'm going to commit to being one that reaches one. It might be tonight that you're, you've never received Christ as your Savior. It might be tonight that God's been speaking to you about uh, your church membership. I don't know what it might be, but this is a really a good time to deal with it. While we sing, would you come and, and we'll meet with you here. One of our deacons or I, one, will do our best to be of help to you while we sing.